0: This week on the show, we cover overcoming imposter syndrome in IT. I think in a very important question, a practical guide to GNU set with examples, which a lot of them also apply to BSD set. Early computer art by Barbara Nessim. Don't pre-fill config files for the developers among us. Trapping spam bots based on target domains only is what Peter Henstein tells us. And You Cannot Curl Under Pressure, which is a new game about the curl manual page. And more in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD then. BSD tomorrow then Uh, Yesterday, today, tomorrow. Yeah. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash now to find online backup for truly paranoid people. And if you want to support this show in one way or the other, Check out our patreon page at patreon.com/bsd now and we thank you in advance for that. Yeah, where's the countdown? It was kind of a feature. Ah oh, well, we just count the days.: It did minutes. count down, well, the down five appeared and then no five, four, five three. Four, and
1: then nothing. That's like what they do in, t- in you know when you're yeah. you know in a, in a film where they're showing live TV and they do like five. Four. yeah, flashing. No, not the, like they actually count someone in. And they don't count the last ah, three okay. because if they Yeah, and then cut it out later. No, they don't count the last three because if it's um if the timing is off and the person counting mm-hmm. in is saying that they, it would go out in the audio, and so they leave yeah. out the last parts. So I guess that's what it was doing.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Hi. Beast now <laughs> episode. <laughs> yeah, it's it really is. Yeah. We have fun here. We, yeah, it's not the boring <laughs> podcast you listen uh on the it. other channels yeah, like it's those, those now, episode you listen to, to sleep, oh, wait, no, people <laughs> listen to us to sleep. it's it's oh, yes, yeah. we shouldn't make it too exciting. so no people jump, wake there's up no jump scares and stay up. no jump scares, yeah <laughs> episode five hundred forty seven <laughs> overcoming imposter syndrome and if
1: if, if you if you uh, back us on Patreon for a thousand dollars a month after six months, Benedict will do an entire show
0: in that voice, yeah, it, totally for six grand, yeah, yeah. Or in a very high-pitched voice? <laughs> That'd be the in six months. <laughs> or uh, ASMR is a thing, so...
1: MIT Imposter track back, Backers on Patreon and Benedict won't do ASMR.
0: <laughs> Anything you like for the money. <laughs> We're so gullible. Um... <laughs> okay, let's start over. BSD Now, episode 547, IT imposter Syndrome, recorded on the 7th of February, 2024, it is. Hi, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Tom Jones. Welcome. We have a fresh new episode for you. For us, it's fresh and hopefully for you as well. But something may be familiar in this one, which is the next one, which is overcoming imposter syndrome in IT.
1: Yep. first up we have a blog post from Celine um, Celine who is very frequently covered on this show and she's writing about overcoming imposter syndrome in IT and Celine writes you certainly know about imposter syndrome I'll refer it to is Unfortunately it's very common in IT and then there's uh, is it Wikipedia there's a PNG of a diagram from work in and it's collected Venn diagrams you should look at it I'm, I don't know why I keep describing pictures. As I finally, almost, got rid of my own imposter syndrome, I want to share my experience and tips that helped me overcome it. Keeping track of your work and knowledge. It's hard to stay confident in your own skills when you feel you accomplish nothing in your life or career. I would recommend to everyone to always keep a very detailed CV or resume up to date with all the projects you worked on. When you feel in doubt about your own skills, just check this list and you will certainly be surprised about something you have achieved in the past. If you're a developer, look at your project histories and. Git, SVN, Mercurial or whatever Um, is also a nice way to review your past work. There are dedicated Git tools to write nice reports even across multiple repositories. When I look back at my blog index, I realize how many things I learned. I forgot about most of my previous content and topics I wrote about. That is my own list, but it's really helpful to me. Meet other professionals. It seems imposter syndrome exists because it's hard to differentiate low value general knowledge and what we know and should know as a technician. Knowledge that makes us professionals in our job. In IT, it's really hard to evaluate a work at work product or a service compared to, let's say, a sculpted piece of wood. I'm not saying sculpting wood is easy, but at least it doesn't require an audit by a dedicated team to know if it was nicely done in the state of the art. My confidence got better when I started spending time with the new colleagues when joining a new company. Being able to know how their others worked helped me evaluate my own work. It was also the opportunity to ask them to review my work and methods. Honest feedback from a competent person is invaluable. By spending more time with my colleagues, I was finally able to establish some kind of reference to auto-evaluate my own work accurately. Moving to a new job is also the opportunity to meet real slackers with poor skills. And in most cases, you will notice they don't care. After all, if they got a job and their boss is happy, your, your work will be better, so there is no reason not to stay confident in yourself. Stay confident. This seems boring and obvious, but you need to stay confident in yourself to start building some confidence. If you succeeded in a project in the past, there is no reason for you to fail on another project later. Being able to overcome failures is an important part of the process. It's common for anyone to fail at something, but instead of lamenting about it, see it as an opportunity to improve yourself for the next time. There is a lot more to learn from failures than from successes tip of the iceberg. When you see someone else's work video article, you may be impressed by it and you feel that you would never be able to achieve something similar because it's too hard. But did you ever think that you only saw the tip of the iceberg and that you dismissed all the hard work and research done in order to succeed? For instance, maybe that person spent hundreds of hours making a two minute video. The result looks incredible to you. And so it's only two minutes. So you immediately think I'd never be able to do this myself. But what if you had hundreds of hours and skills to do it? Could you? Do they know? If you ever feel bad listening to someone's story that makes you feel incompetent and useless, you could think, do they know how to do this and this? This being something you know. Yes, they're an expert programming compiler expert, but do they know how to cook? Do they know how to change a car wheel? Do they know how to grow vegetables? I'm not I'm not a psychologist, a personal coach, or an imposter syndrome specialist, but I've been able to work around it and I'm now gradually getting rid of it for good. It's really refreshing. It's important not to feel overconfident in the process. There is a balance to keep, but don't think about it too early. Have fun. You are awesome in your own way, like everyone else. Thank you, Celine.
0: Oh yeah, these are some great points because I guess most people feel these imposter syndromes when they are, for example, at a conference where of course the topic is very narrow. Let's say BSD conference where you talk BSD or operating system specifics and you're a newcomer, and you don't know much about kernel internals, then of course you feel like an imposter. You don't belong there, you think, or that's this is not your crowd. But the focus on this conference is, of course, operating systems, and they don't talk about growing vegetables or, you know, car repairs or anything. So, of course, you feel if you're not the expert there or not too knowledgeable, then, yeah, this is not uh, your knowledge area. But in the breaks or during the hallway tracks or over dinner or other meals, there is plenty of time to talk to people about other things life brings you. So that may be my suggestion to also, you know, see that people are not experts in all fields.
1: Yeah. And, and when the when the demons come to you late at night, um, there's lots of things you can take solace in and other people's um, suffering and their success. There's an excellent book by the choreographer Thwala Tharp um, called The Creative Habit. And it sounds out there to talk about it in this context, but she managed to choreograph and direct very successful productions. And she talks through some of the failings you will have, like some of the ways you will reinforce your own self-doubt. And imposter syndrome is a big part of this, um, but it comes in many different guises. Um, and one that, I learned through reading this book was about um, crises of confidence, where that amazing idea you had, it gets hard um, and you feel like an idiot and it's all stupid and you just stop. And being able to push through that is how you do successful things. And you could easily have everything you need to do something really successfully, but just um, torpedo yourself in the middle. Um, But yeah, I mean, we have a, a podcast where we read people's blog posts and we want you to write more blog posts and we're happy always happy to read about why things didn't work just as much as why things did work. Um, sometimes the coolest stories are about the failures. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, at least you tried if it all goes up in flames and is a total failure, at least you tried. and you if, didn't if stay you, under your blanket. If you
1: actually set a computer on fire by doing software things, that would be, I'd be so happy to hear about it.
0: That's a, a, a win <laughs> in its own. Yeah. <laughs> And we cover it on the show, probably. Yeah, definitely. Okay, like this next article, <laughs> uh, which is about for uh, a practical guide to GNU Zed with examples. So Zed is, of course, the stream editor. And it's a long article with a lot of examples, so we'll just scratch the surface. And we are definitely having this in our show notes for you to read the whole just, thing just, or pick just, certain just items. restart,
1: Benedict? when we were talking before and you said you, you said... Are you using GNU sed or are you using BSD sed? BSD sed. Do you know the differences between GNU sed and BSD sed?
0: I guess they are very subtle in certain of options.
1: No, I, I I don't know what they are,
0: but they do cause a lot of stuff to break. <laughs> I think the when you do sed on a file and redirect it to itself, then it doesn't. You end up with an empty file. In, and I think in the BSD one, you can say Uh, dash i something and you don't overwrite the file if you read from this file somehow
1: you can yeah you can do in place with anyway yeah in place replace replace something
0: Um, Yeah, yeah okay uh yeah so they say the sun is shining today too bad you're stuck in the office at your beloved company megacorp moneymaker your task is to delete specific lines across thousands of xml files it is the api of an external warehouse and as always they screwed it up you begin to write a script using your favorite programming language when suddenly Davina, your colleague developer, comes to your desk. You know what you, uh, you know that you don't have to write a script to do that? You can simply use Z in your terminal. used Z in the past, but only to substitute some words with others. How could Davina develop or delete specific lines depending on their content? You don't have time to think more. Davina is already on your keyboard. It's super easy. I'll show you. Curious to learn more, you let her explain what Z is all about. This article is this transcription of this magical day which changed the world. So here's the outline of what Davina explained. What argument we can give to Z, what's a Z script, how to write the input file in place. Ah, oh, that's what we just talked about. How to use an address in a Z script to edit specific lines, that I also know. How to use the commands print and delete how to invert the address, how to use more than one command in a Z script, how to use the substitute command. Okay. As the title suggests, we'll focus on GNU Z in this article. If you don't have it, I'd recommend you install it and use it, or you, you probably can go a long way with the BSD Z version. Uh, but again, for this article, it's not too much of a difference. Uh, the basics of Z. Let's begin by the obvious. What on earth does Z est- mean like this lovely name is for stream editor. The S from stream and ED from editor. Oh wow, yeah, abbreviations everywhere. It's indeed an editor which follows this workflow. First, take a stream of text input. Select uh, as the second thing some specific lines. The third is perform some operations on each line selected. And the fourth is output the resulting text. The second and third steps are done thanks to a Z script and they cover that later. First, let's look at what an argument we can give to set is in our shell. Uh, so you can say z, for example, quote, quote, nginx.conf, and then prints your nginx.conf. Oh, wow, you say this is uh, so easy that my cat program can do that as well. But they say, by default, set output or print every line or every single line of its input because our z script is empty. Since the empty single quotes. Z only outputs the file. As a result, the command above is equivalent to the shell command cat nginx.conf. So, files are not the only possible input. We can also directly pipe to Z. For example, echo, this is some input. Pipe, Z, quote, quote. This results in printing, this is some input. Wonderful. Uh, Then, we have the three parts of a Z script. First part is the address, the lines you want to edit. It's always followed by a command. The command itself, the operation you want to perform, it's always a single letter. And then the options. A couple of commands can have options, like the substitute command. For example, here's an example uh, of a Z script using the command delete, Z, single quote, D, single quote, nginx.conf, and that by default, the command of the Z script operates each line. As a result, we delete here every single line. That's why the output is empty. Don't worry, the file will still be there. It's just the output that gets uh, not printed. Technically, it doesn't mean that we delete all the contents of the file nginx.conf by default. Z will never modify the file or input given. Instead, it will copy each line to the input buffer, do the operations described by the Z script on the buffered lines, and then output the possibly modified buffered lines. You can, of course, uh, write it directly to the input file. Uh, for example, let's address uh, to our Z script to only delete the first line z1d nginx.conf. As we saw this won't affect the file nginx conf but the output as a result you want to save your editing you could redirect this output to a new file for example nginx.new.conf so and 1d just targets the first line in there you can also use the i options which we talked about earlier to uh, replace in re- replace the file in place <laughs> as mentioned But they would recommend you to create a backup before doing so in case something went wrong and you end up with an empty file. And so that way you have always two files, the original and the modified one. Okay, so then the address, selecting specific lines. You can define an address as a line number, a range of lines, every nth line, or a regular expression. Yay, regexes we already saw one which is z1d engine xconf this selects the first line or deletes it we can also say z2 comma 5d deletes the lines 2 to 5 included or we say 0 tilde is that a tilde yeah uh, 0 tilde 2d deletes every even line from line 0 delete every two lines and 1 tilde 2d delete every odd line from line 1 delete every two lines you can also define a regular expression because, uh, yeah, if you have one problem and you use a regular expression, suddenly you have two. And z slash include slash d deletes each line matching the pattern include. This may be familiar from your uh, Vim or VI editing session where you can also search and replace with similar actions forward slashes. Uh, another one is. is z three comma slash include slash d delete from the third line until the first line matching the pattern include and uh, some other examples are provided there you can also have a case insensitive regex in case you want to have only to target uppercase lines in your input this is possible by providing uh, the proper set input only output the chosen lines. You can say, for example, the following doesn't output anything: set minus n quote quote nginxconf or z dash dash quiet, which of course is the quiet output, giving you nothing. Uh, what else is interesting? Uh, you can also invert the address by using a, uh, a bang character. You can say one bang d delete every line except the first one. So you just invert the meaning of the following. Uh, command. Using more than one command of course you can have multiple ones. You can say z1,10d semicolon 15 comma dollar d which then the first script 1,1d 1, 1 deletes all the lines from line 1 to 10 and the second script delimited by the semicolon 15 comma dollar d deletes all the lines from line 15 to the end of the input because d is the end of yeah the input. Uh, of course, you can have multiple Z scripts and plenty other examples in the full article. I suggest you check it out if you need to do a lot of replacing actions on the command line and make your life a bit quicker uh, like they uh, have in the introductory uh, examples.
1: Do you, do you know how to use Ed, Benedict?
0: Uh, not yet, actually. I haven't had time to look at that one book, Ed Mastery, to you my were- shame.
1: You know, it's only like a, <laughs> a, a, maybe an hour to read the book
0: at the most. Okay. Then it's I need really, to just find really a good, short, long train ride. That would be a short <laughs> train ride here.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. That would be, that'd be fun. Um, mm-hmm. First up in the news roundup, we have a blog post from the thegingerbeardman.com. Early computer art by Barbara Nessum, 1984. This blog post is not from 1984, it's from 2023. While searching for something else entirely, I stumbled across these images and was struck by how beautiful they are.
0: Why am I always reading artwork?
1: I, you have to look at the blog post to see the images. Well,
0: you're a visual guy, maybe. Yeah, I am. But like I
1: don't know. It keep, keeps happening. <clears throat> um, it could be a Patreon perk. Tom reads art. No, no, I didn't do well in that part.
0: It's difficult I to describe. Yeah, in audio. Um, the artwork is by Barbara
1: Nessim and was featured as the cover and section pages in the September 1984 volume 9 number 10 issue of Bike Magazine. Larger versions are at the bottom of this blog post. They were drawn using during a residency at Time Life in NYC simply because that was the easiest way Barbara could gain access to a colour computer with suitable capabilities. A NORPAC IPS to Videotex, NAP LPS lead-on system. This offered six drawing modes, arc, rectangle, circle, line, dot, and polygon, and 12 colors, of which half were shades of gray plus black and white are black and white shades of gray, um, and at a resolution of 256 by 200. That equates to a computer system roughly equivalent to an Apple II running a rudimentary graphics application. In fact, you could get an add-on card for the Apple II to give it full, nor Lead on capabilities. The main benefit of the Norpac IPS 2 computer system was that it had pen stylus input. The system comprised two monitors. One showed the artwork and the other showed the software status menu. The software was controlled by keyboard and the points that specify the shapes were entered using the pen input. My first thought was such cool pixel art, but a little more reading shows there are actually vector illustrations. NAPLPS is an early graphics format for which you could represent both text and vector graphics with all coordinates and other properties such as size, fill, pattern, density, encoded as ASCII for easy transmission. It was designed to display information on TVs and also used for display on terminals, in BBS software and on the Prodigy online service. Readers from around the world might be more familiar with teletext, which is a close relative of video text. Doing pure illustration, using a system meant for creating pages of information, exactly the type of software subversion I'd love to discover. Barbara Nissim is a name I was already familiar with, as she's mentioned and interviewed in Verbum magazine, Compute magazine, in various books about illustration regarding her groundbreaking interactive art exhibition installation Random Access Memories 1991, not to be confused with the punk album, at, which addressed world issues such as migration and population growth that allowed visitors to operate at Macintosh containing her work, selecting images, and printing their own customized booklet of her work with their choice of national flag on the cover. That is so cool. Whilst I would seen other computer artwork by Barbara Portraits Nudes Abstract, all of which are worth checking out, I'd never quite seen these images from quite seen work like these images from Byte. The chunky scanline gaps in between the rows of pixels, the result of these images being photographs of the monitor on which they were displayed. Screenshots had existed since the 1960s, but in the 1980s, getting such an image off of a mainframe was not easy or universal. Instead, images were saved by pointing a camera at the screen. In this case, a Polaroid palette video image recorder capturing the image on 35mm slide film, then printing them by Chrome process, which is to really say something, of course. I think these images are much better than screenshots because of scan lines the phosphor glow, the bleeding of colours, and the general analogue feel to the whole thing. Barbara was one of the few people to embrace computers for art in the early 1980s when the rest of the art world considered them at best a fad, and at worst a threat to their existence. (laughs) Little did they know what was coming. Uh, Before and after the 1980s, Barbara carved out a hugely successful career for herself encompassing many different forms of art, teaching, and activism. She continues to exhibit and create. She continues to create and exhibit her art. Uh, There's further reading, but I think that's enough. There's really high-resolution scans at the bottom of the page, high-resolution scans, photographs of a monitor, Um, but they're really cool.
0: Yeah, check that out. It's certainly an interesting history piece. Okay, uh, this next one is for the people who are in the position to create config files, like for applications they wrote, or in general for software development as a good practice. Because this blog post here by makeworld.space tells us to don't pre-fill config files. And the reason is, the biggest design mistake I made with Amphora, their application that's linked uh, to GitHub, my first community open source project was auto-generating config files. On startup, the application looks for a config file and creates one if it doesn't exist, full of all the application defaults. At the time, I thought this was great as it documents all the existing options and makes them very visible to the user in case they want to change them. In the end, this decision created a lot of headaches and uh, is not something I'd ever do again. It feels obvious now, but this issue wasn't to me at the time. The problem is you can never change any defaults. There's a real issue from Amphora. Alice installs version 1 of my code that uses search engine A. The search engine is, of course, configurable, and so by default, search underscore engine equals A gets put in her config file. A little while later, search engine A goes down forever, and so the wise developer, a.k.a. me, changes the default search engine to fancy new search engine B. But when Alice installs version 2 of the application, It reads search underscore engine equals A in her config file and will never use the new default. Addis would have to read the release notes and manually make the change herself, which is a pretty big ask. This gets worse for interrelated config keys, like for theming. Amphora has multiple config keys to set the color of various UI elements and occasionally new ones are added. If all these keys were set in the config file by default, then the default theme would never be changed. For example, imagine a version 3 that adds a new theme like button5 underscore color and also changes the default theme. For users with the application pre-installed, they would see the old theme like before from their config file, except the new button5 would have a color from the new theme looking weird or even invisible. In Amphora's case, this was thankfully avoided as theme keys were not kept in the default config. And a solution here, many applications on my laptop and server appear to solve this problem in a half-baked manner. All the configuration keys are indeed written to the config file, but as comments. Technically, this avoids the problem described above, but I'm not a fan since this can mislead the user. When the application is updated and defaults change, these comments will then be out of date, possibly leading to some frustrating debugging sessions. I swear IPv4 was already disabled. In my opinion, the solution to this is simple the user has to write the config options themselves. At most, the application could create the file with just a few comments, instructions on how to find documentation, manual, website. And this way, the only options in the config file are the ones that the user manually has written into it. Only those will remain in place when application defaults are changed. So yeah, that I understand. But there's also, I mean, I have this problem with my Unix students, which are, hopefully at this point, studying for the exam soon, Um, when we go to editors and I start with VI. Of course, they hate it with a passion. Why? Because the default config file is empty. Nothing is in there. And they say, hey, where are lines, uh, line indicators, for example? And I say, yes, you have to edit the config file and put that in to say numbers equals true. And the config file by default is empty. But if they would have pre-filled the config file, like in this case, then it would be difficult to change it over time.
1: Vim on FreeBSD keeps changing package defaults. Like it went through a phase where the the defaults shipped kept changing, which is mm. really difficult to understand because it's not a configuration you've set. It's a, like a global configuration. And so Googling oh. for like, why is Vim doing this doesn't help because it's it's not there. Yeah, like this whole thing is a mess. Um,
0: or as an application developer you would have to look at existing config files and change options there which the users probably don't want because they want to keep control of how the application behaves and that's why we have release notes, right and put information out when a new release coming that is like a breaking change or this is a UI change that may look different I I don't know what you're talking about release
1: notes just say we fix bugs
0: (laughs) yeah these are the ones from app updates right (laughs) <laughs> made some improvements and fixed some bugs. Yeah, but which ones? It, this not is just the, boilerplate. Ones fix. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the ones they fixed, not the other ones. Um, yeah. Next up, we have a blog post from our friend Peter N.M. Hanstein at bsdle, bsdle.blogspot.com. Uh, a simpler life trapping spam bots based on target domain only. If you want to hurt spammers, you can get away with maintaining a list of domains you want to receive mail for in your spam-d.allowed domains. I have written at times about, I have at times written at length about spam countermeasures, and I must take some responsibility for sometimes going into too much detail. Nah, it's fine, Peter, we like it. Uh, About options and nuances that are on offer if you enjoy fighting back at spammers and watching them fail. So it was a bit refreshing to be reminded that you can, in fact, make good use of OpenBSD spam deferral daemon spam D without maintaining a lengthy list of anything or even pulling in externally generated data unless you really want to. The key to the simple version of spam fighting life with spamd is to put a list of domains you do want to receive mail for in a file called spam d.alive domains in slash et slash mail if your system runs OpenBSD and a user local etc spamd if you're running on FreeBSD. Make sure that file is readable for the user that runs spam d and restart. The result will be that any host that tries to deliver mail to addresses that are not listed in spamd.allowed domains will be gray trapped and added to your spamd gray trap. The host will be shuttered, stuttered.
0: Stuttered, yeah.
1: The host will be stuttered at with gray listing. The host will be stuttered at until it gives up. If you have no use for external block lists or allow lists, you can even go with an empty spamd.conf if you want or comment out any content. Uh, the SpamD process will run fine without one See good sensible defaults. Um, an example from um, nxdomain.no um, It must be really hard to debug. Um, showing SpamD trap and stuff. Neither to say, I am not Microsoft, so Hotmail.com is not in my nxdomain.no's at etc SpamD allowed, allowed domains. If you want to pull in external block lists or pass lists, you can pull in uh, a SpamD.com with content. One useful starting point is the default version, or you can start with mine. Finally, if you want to run a mail service, do yourself a favor and not only read the relevant man pages, but also sign up for the mail op mailing list. Read the mail FAQ and the best services, best services for servers document. If you want to dig deeper in matters related to spam degrade trapping and the OpenBSD spam program in general, here are some resources for you. And then this a big list of posts. Thank you, Peter. I love mm. hearing about spam. And why I yeah. don't get any... <laughs> <laughs> Do you, you get a lot of spam? I don't get a lot of spam.
0: Uh, the question is if a lot of spam gets through to me. I probably receive a lot of spam but until I see it mm. there's a couple of things that will be yeah, blocking it. it them well. so hmm. Keeping the spam out. Yeah. It's where it belongs in the trash. Okay, next thing is uh, you cannot curl under pressure and curl of course C up capital URL our favorite tool, uh, Curl, the wonderful HTTP plumbing tool this article starts with, that powers both a lot of command line debugging and bash scripts, but also exists as a strong foundation of our applications in the form of libcurl. The scale of adoption of libcurl slash curl is actually remarkable. It's mostly kept up to date with new protocols too, ensuring that its relevance is maintained. Putting it bluntly, there is not really a better tool in the Unix-like land for making HTTP, HTTPS requests than Curl, um, I recently found girl gurl, and that has f- similar functionality but that is beside the point that's just me not the article um, but the scope creep of curl is also something to behold the program can do tons of stuff look at the homepage Yep, uh, dict, file, ftp, ftps gopher, http, https imap, imaps and 50 other more I guess I don't read all of them uh, holy shit that's a lot of RFCs that have been implemented. The help pages of a fully loaded curl install here understandably very long. curl-help pipe wc-l has 221 lines in there and curl-manual word count l is 4596 lines. Happy reading. With curl having the, uh, this many features with the general mass of them being totally unknown to me let alone how you use them got me thinking, or the blog author here, What if we could do a game show style challenge for them? This brought back memories of the game that the now defunct USVSTHM made... Ah, okay, the username, yeah. Made can't JavaScript under pressure. Okay. Ah, yeah, there's a little uh, demo right there. Okay. Sadly, the content is gone, but the Internet Archive holds a functioning copy of it. Great. I thought, could you just turn the curl manual page into a game? Well no need to just think about it anymore. I present to you you can't curl under pressure. Here it goes. The back end for this post is currently broken. <laughs> Try reloading. Okay, great. Interesting on how this works. Below is a technical write-up of the infrastructure behind this game. If you're stopping here, then feel free to keep track of my future shenanigans in the blog's RSS or following me on Twitter. And they describe the infrastructure by Saying with a little like a flowchart, present new VM, catch outgoing HTTP calls. Does request look correct? If no, then another catch of outgoing HTTP calls. And if yes, then present a new VM, and the circle goes on forever. Okay, and they describe how they. Uh, even like the animation in those uh, scribbled, uh, you know, <laughs> flowcharts, and yeah, it's quite nice. A good read and. Check out the details if you're interested and, of course, the game itself because I think that's a nice way of making a long man page even more interesting.
1: BSD now is sponsored by Tarsnap. Everyone needs backups, and Tarsnap ensures that your backups are not only safe, but also secure. Your data is encrypted on your device before being sent to the cloud. You can be sure that only you have the ability to read your data. Tarsnap takes your data and works out what is duplicated It then assembles the data into compressed blocks and creates them with your local private key. This key never leaves your system. The data is then uploaded into the cloud. Even if someone is able to obtain your data in the cloud they will not be able to decrypt it and access your files. Tarsnap is easy to use. If you can use tar then you can use Tarsnap. Tarsnap is prepaid so you never have to worry about an unexpected bill. Tarsnap is fully open source allowing you to inspect the code and make sure It does what we say it does. Tarsnap has bug bounties so that if you find errors in the code, you can get paid for helping make the software better. With clients on all major platforms, there's no excuse not to have good backups. Go to Tarsnap.com to learn more.
0: Okay. uh, Oh, we have feedback and questions this week.
1: Yep. this, This week we have heard from listeners. I didn't read any of these. Um... The first question comes from Marcus on the Linux compat layer. Hey all, that is a good way not to have to remember all of our names. Um, hello Wildcard PSD now hosts. Hello Star JT. Um, hey all, what is the most recent version of the Linux compat layer? Has it been updated recently? I, I, do Do you know off the top of your head, Benedict?
0: Uh, I think I saw a couple of commits go by, but it was not a major update to the uh, operating system version that's underlying that. Uh, I would have to look it up. Can you I explain the question to of... me? Because I'm not actually sure. I mean, beyond
1: like, like the the long life answer to this is go and look at freshports.org. I think mm. is that what they mean yeah. by the Linux compatible? Or like running Debian in, in a jail? Yeah, they must do. For example, I mean... yeah. Okay. Yeah, whatever's so, Packaged. I think it was CentOS. I think we're working on CentOS nine.
0: Yeah, CentOS so six was my last. Some CentOS, uh, but of course you can now run Linux jails um, to some success. You can run Deb. Depends on what you jail. want to run. That'd be fine. But it
1: doesn't it probably matters more for packaged software? Like if you want to run Steam, like if you want to do
0: package installs, yeah, Steam, which I don't think is. But possible. even that has. A separate package now i'm fairly sure people oh, okay. have written that
1: yeah i don't think we're ever going to be able to give you a very long lived answer here
0: yeah <laughs> check out the uh, fresh ports and uh ah, there should be a way to always uh, get the latest you should
1: be, like, you should just be able to go to the website um what well, version of linux compat layer on freebsd.com
0: <laughs> do we have yeah.com yeah, .com? <laughs> yeah.
1: If you're not registered, that I registered. I mean, it cost a lot. It's a very catchy domain name. Yeah, I've got. Yeah, you
0: already. Yeah, okay. The money goes your way. Uh, (laughs) The yeah, it would be interesting to hear the question behind it. Are you uh, interested in running some Linux applications on FreeBSD that are not ported yet, or that can't be ported, or what's your motivation there? So maybe a follow up question next time is uh, warranted.
1: You know, it's funny, like this is so close to like a let me just google that for you response but that's now gone because google doesn't work anymore um but yeah it's a good point i don't know what's happening um i i think it was like two different things so for packages coming from freebsd the base can matter but for running your own stuff in you know like you can assemble your own compat layer quite easily with deb bootstrap now and there's ports to help you do it so it should be quite straightforward to do so you shouldn't you shouldn't be too tied into what's been done by imports community, yeah
0: there is a FreeBSD wiki page that tells you about how to run the Linuxulator uh or linux jail in particular uh when I search linux jail for example right now oh no res- no result uh <laughs> great demo effect uh why don't ah here linux jails it's one word i I I said Linux space and jails. That's why I didn't get a result. So search for Linux jails, jails at one word. Then you get the instructions uh, how to do that. And I, with that, I think you can now also substitute that with from a Debian uh, Linux uh, user land to a Ubuntu or whatever is out there that is supported. People are still working on this and we probably get it a bit better by not doing some bootstrapping things uh, and rely on a bit more modern um, version of Linux, of a popular Linux, I guess. Um, that's why I look forward to conferences, right? People report there typically what is uh, the latest in this area or in the quarterly status reports. This may be also something that people post reports uh, about this.
1: Okay. And then the, the next piece of feedback we got um, via Telegram was some FreeBSD nostalgia, and it is. An archive.org link to uh, lanol.gov uh, which I think is in America. I don't know what lanol is, and it's Rick McKinnick's homepage. Fun software, um, and are these separate tools? It's really hard to say. Um, there's a big collection here of old drivers for FreeBSD and Linux. Um, some papers which were rejected and accepted. Um, and pictures of a supercomputing cluster, or Is it a supercomputer? I don't know. Um, He Ah, recycled it. It consists of 128 nodes, each with dual processor P200 MMX, 64 megabytes of RAM, 3.2 gigabytes of disk, CD-ROM drive, two SMC Etherpower, 10100 Ethernet cards. And there's photos, which is probably the more interesting part now, rather than the specs of an old computing cluster. And it's really cool. Thank you for uh, giving
0: us this yeah, and LANL stands for the Los Alamos National Laboratory.
1: Aha, uh-huh.
0: I wouldn't have just known that. Yeah, and, and so this yeah, big that, collection that, of stuff
1: <laughs> like was a um a cluster of sixteen Pentium ninety machines. I'd like that. We wouldn't use that much power. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, it's interesting what nostalgia people dig up. This is something that the Telegram channel brings up sometimes for BSD now which is t.me slash bsdnow. If you can solve the capture, then you are in. And it's quiet sometimes, but sometimes there's some discussion going on, like uh, when does people uh, on BSD now grow uh, more head hair? No, uh, something always is in discussion, but it's quiet. It's not just too much shouting of uh, things. So yeah, check it out. And we also have a Patreon channel on patreon.com slash bsdnow if you want to support this podcast uh, in a little way or a big way. And we're still thinking about certain levels, whether we should, uh, you know, give you a bit more or what, what kind of things we should give you at all. So if you have feedback on these things, then check out our feedback email, feedback at See how nicely this all ties into one. And yeah, this is also the way to submit blog posts that you found interesting or that you've written yourself around the BSD space. And this is a way to get in touch with us.
1: Yeah. There there will there will be show. additional content going out to um patri- patrons only. Not it won't be we won't take away from the current show format, but we will do other things which are um much less serious than <laughs> than the current presentation. Um if I have anything to do with it. And maybe other stuff. But The only way to get hold of that would be to back us on Patreon. But don't worry, when we have members-only content on the Patreon, we'll tell you about it because we want you to join the Patreon. So it'd be fine. You you won't miss out unless you don't join the Patreon, then you will miss out. But you won't not know about it.
0: Yeah. Or if you just rely on the regular episode every week, that's just fine. You just get that in your podcatcher and don't, uh, you know, go to the things in between, even though as fun as they may be. Okay, have a nice week. Uh, We thank you for listening as always and stay tuned for next week's episode.